The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Mmm, little ominous sounding there. My friends, welcome... To this week's Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder, I am your co-host, the Monty Man, and here we are. I just back from uh, the Florida Keys, the awesome Florida Keys. But I got to tell you guys out there in the Florida Keys, you could keep your humidity to yourself. <laughs> oh man! But what a beautiful and fun time we had at the Twelve Step Music Fest. It was awesome. It's good to be home. It's good to be back uh, with you. We are at part three of how it works. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Great, Monty. Great. Uh, we are in this chapter of How It Works, which is probably for those out there that have never read the big book uh, or the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, one thing that they have read is a great deal from How It Works. And uh, this, you know, some would say this is the, um, this is, you know, we're starting to get into the meat of this whole thing. Um what is your take? I mean, before we actually get to where we left off, what is your take on this chapter? Kind of a summary. Well, this is this is the chapter where some the specific directions start to be laid out. Uh, it talks earlier uh, that the purpose of the book is to show uh, show others precisely how we have recovered. So, in how it works, Bill had to get to work showing precisely yeah. how we had recovered. Uh, you know, you, you hear all the time, um, rarely have we seen a fir- person fail who has thoroughly followed the path. Well, when you look at the chapter, uh, how it works, and then into action, those are really basically the two chapters that lay out what you need to do to thoroughly follow the path, what you need to do to recover from alcoholism. And uh, we are at... Well, we're at the we're at the, uh, the bottom paragraph on page sixty three. Sixty three, right? Well, what we had, what we did last week, uh, Monty, is we ended with uh, the third step prayer. Yep. The third the third step prayer, and we talked about it being an affirmation prayer uh, about it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, affirming a decision that we've made uh, to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand Him to basically. Uh, start to live life along spiritual lines, to make a commitment to live life along spiritual lines. You know, alcoholism is our problem. Spiritual living is our solution as alcoholics. And uh, uh, what we've found, what they've found from this book and what what they've found in the 12-step processes is, 
is that when you do the things that they lay out in this book, when you're fearless and thorough, what happens is the result is recovery from alcoholism. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions and there's a lot of bad information that you'll find in the support group meetings today. There's a lot of people who really are looking for easier, softer ways. They're trying to share their way sober. They're they're trying to attend meetings their way sober. Uh, you know, they're trying to make coffee their way sober. And all of those things are, are really good, but it's it doesn't even come close to thoroughly following the path. It's not an AA program. What an AA program is is do the things that are in how it works and uh, into action, actually do those things. And that's what an AA program is. And mm-hmm. that hasn't be- that's kind of become unpopular in some of the recovery rooms because people want easier, softer ways. It's more fun uh, to sit in a circle and complain about how bad the day is. That's a lot more fun than actually taking inventory or going out and making direct amends. But it's not an AA program. You know, so uh, so the treatment for alcoholism is certainly not sitting in a circle and complaining about your day uh, and drinking coffee and putting a dollar in the basket. That's not treatment for alcoholism. The treatment for alcoholism uh, is actually doing what's in how it works and into action. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's like what we talked about before, like going into a classroom Never picking up the textbook, just showing up for class. <laughs> yeah, and share, sharing about the subject, having really little, knowing little about it. Well, and you know what, Chris? This is something it, it, today in a new meeting. Um, a friend, a very good friend of mine, who is he's really on the same page that you and I are on when it comes to this to this program and and uh, following this and the book and so forth. And he said, you know, he said we sit around here and we talk about how this applies to us or that applies to us or how we how we feel about this or or that and what the book says here and and gee this i can do this and that but but we're not looking at what it says and actually doing the work we're looking at the wall seeing the 12 steps saying i read them therefore i comprehend them and that's where we stop <laughs> you know somebody <laughs> described the other day is is uh, the insanity uh, that they talk about in, in the alcoholic insanity is basically being in a 12-step program and not, not taking the 12 steps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's kind of a, that's kind of a good uh, explanation for alcoholic insanity. We will do anything. You know, in the 12 and 12, it basically states instincts balk at investigation. You know, when we're about to start looking at our instincts in step four here. Uh, instincts balk at investigation. We'll, we'll do anything except the actual work of recovery, and it's crazy. But let's say, let's say you were diagnosed with uh, uh, with lung cancer, and you, you go into the doctor, and the doctor says, "Well, you know, it's really bad news. You're going to live anywhere anywhere between six months and two years. Uh, it's going to get progressively worse, and you're you're going to die uh, a really bad death." I mean, that's. That's basically what you could tell uh, a low-bottom alcoholic. You could tell them the same thing. Yeah. And and you go to the doctor. Well, doctor, isn't there you know isn't there anything? Isn't there anything? And they say, well, you know, out out in Eugene, Oregon, uh, there's there's this clinical trial underway whereby there's there's twelve twelve procedures, and everyone that's undergone those twelve procedures has recovered. You know, so that's all I know. 
Mm-hmm. You would sell your house, you'd sell your family, you'd take a leave of absence from work, you'd get in the car and you would drive to Eugene, Oregon, and you would get involved. That would be your absolute highest priority, uh, recovery from lung cancer, because you're going to die if you don't. And there would be an incredible sense of urgency. The thing with alcoholism is, is it, it's almost inherent in the illness, a lack of urgency. You know, yes, okay, I'm going to die an alcoholic death unless I get involved. And then you just barely get involved, and everything else in your life is more important. You know, if we didn't have an alcoholic insanity, we would have a sense of urgency about these steps like you would not believe. We would take a leave of absence from work. We'd move out of the house because people are talking to us and getting in our way. And we would get about the business of going through these steps as thoroughly and as quickly as possible because we would have a sense of urgency. But with alcoholism, inherent in the illness is a lack of urgency. And it it, it, it affects almost everybody. And I think that's why so many people die. There's a solution. There's a treatment for alcoholism. The problem is, is people don't take it. Mm. People don't take it seriously, and people don't actually do it. That's the big problem. So, so you know, uh, it's it, it, it re- even in the twelve-step fellowships, you you find the majority of people not taking the steps. It's unbelievable. It, yeah. it would be like it would be like going to the hospital to get treatment for that lung disease, and instead of going into the operating room, sitting in the waiting room and talking to other people with lung cancer. You know, oh, yeah. how's your lung cancer? Oh, my lung cancer is, oh, I've got problems with my lung cancer. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. not going into the operating room. Well, the operating room is the steps. So, yeah. so uh, it, it, wouldn't you be crazy if you went to the hospital and just sat in the operating room? You bet. They, you would, bet. They, you would, bet. they would call out the psych unit on you. Hey, there, there's a guy who needs treatment from lung cancer in the waiting room. Well, well, believe it, believe it that the rooms of the 12-step fellowships are the waiting room. They are not the treatment yeah. for the illness. Yeah, good the point. treatment is in this book. Very good point. So I'm going to get started. Uh, we're going to pick up right after... Uh, Right after it says, we thought well before taking this this third step uh, and and saying the affirmation prayer. We found it very desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person, such as our wife, best friend, or spiritual advisor. But it is better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. Remember, this book was written, they were expecting this book to be shipped out, and people were to find recovery by reading and doing what was in this book. Mm-hmm. So there was only two meetings when this book was written. One was in Akron, and one was in one, one was in New York. So they they were giving you instructions to find somebody to do your fifth step with, not not thinking that there's uh, twelve uh, twelve step meetings and five hundred available sponsors in your town like there is today. Right. The wording was, of course, quite optional so long as we expressed the idea, voicing it without reservation. This was only a beginning, though if honestly and humbly made an effect, sometimes a very great one was felt at once. Next, we launched out into a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us have never attempted. I'm I'm going to talk a little bit about that. 
next, what does next mean? Next means the next thing, doesn't it? Yeah, after completion of the thing before it. Launched, launched. I'm really good friends with, a, with an airline pilot, and I asked, I asked him one time, what does launch mean? He goes, Chris, launch means going from zero to 200 in a matter of feet. That's what launched means. Mm. Uh, launched means let's let not only next, but let's let's get going with uh, with some real momentum. So after you do the third step prayer, uh, it, you know it. We next we launch into so you get up off your knees from the third step prayer and you're writing inventory. That's basically what this is directing us to do. A lot of times, again, you hear, you know, there's no time limit on the steps, and, you know, you take your time, uh, you, you know, you don't take the steps, they take you. You hear all kinds of crazy things today. What the book, I, I like to go back to the book. What the book is telling us is, right after making the affirmation prayer, next we launch out into a course of vigorous action, the personal house cleaning. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. I'm going to assume that this sentence is true. Mm-hmm. Though our decision in the third step and our prayer is a vital and crucial step, it's not going to have any permanent effect unless you at once, right after the prayer, uh, uh, get involved in a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. And, and I'll say that that's not only the fourth step, but that's basically four through nine, because the, the process of four through nine is about uh, being rid of the things that are blocking us. And I don't think that truly happens until we're done with our amends. Mm, okay. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to the causes and conditions. How about that? Our liquor is only a symptom of alcoholism. It's right. not a good one. It's, it, it's a really bad symptom, but it's only a symptom. We drink because we're alcoholic. We're not alcoholic because we drink. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to get down to the causes and conditions of our alcoholism. We need to see what's really going on. If it's not really the booze, the booze is just a symptom. You know, what are the causes and conditions of my alcoholism? Why, why do I drink? Why do I have problems in my life? Why is my life unmanageable? Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking up commercial inventory is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damage or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. When Bill uses construction references or business references in this book, you can be sure that... uh, that the same, uh, the same exact set of circumstances or instructions are applicable to the spiritual recovery process. Uh, we, need to, we, need to take, we need to be fact-finding and fact-facing about the things that are in our nature that are, uh, are damaged, that are unusable, that, that uh, are defective. We need to, to find out exactly what they are, and we need to then then uh, participate in the removal of those negative characteristics. Mm-hmm. 
we did the exact same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. A lot of times the alcoholic still thinks that they're not quite, they can't be quite uh, considered a failure. But let's look at it this way. Is your life all that you've wanted it to be? Of course not. I mean, have you achieved everything that you've wanted? Uh, I mean, are you truly happy? Is there serenity in your life? Uh, Are your personal relationships in order? Right. And if if you say no, you know, then, well, you've, you've failed at really what you wanted. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. Self, selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of the alcoholic's uh, problem. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us. Now, uh, up to this point, uh, the, the pages, you know, 1 through 63, if you're not convinced that self the, the manifestation of, of self ha, has been what your problem is. You, you need to not go on. You need to go back into the book and find out what you missed. What have you missed that, that, that you're still unconvinced? Because up, up to this point, it's given us enough ammunition uh, to, to directly look at our own personal experience in our life uh, to come to the conclusion that selfishness and self-centeredness is what has defeated us. It's why we've uh, failed at life. It's why we've got defective relationships. It's why we have, have uh, all of our emotional difficulties. So one of the common manifestations of self is resentment. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. Notice that it doesn't say booze destroys more alcoholics than anything else. It says resentment does. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. For had we not only, uh, we've not only been mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So it's basically pointing us to what we need to work on. We need to work on our spiritual condition. Because if we work on our spiritual condition, our mental and physical condition will come, in, come, in, come into place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so often we try to work on our physical condition. I know a million alcoholics that used to exercise like crazy because they thought, they thought that's how they you know, keep in control or whatever. Right. And I know a lot of alcoholics who read all kinds of books and go to therapy and, and psychological counseling and everything. They're, they're working on their alcoholism mentally. And that doesn't work either. You know, yeah, you, yeah. You, don't, you can't go to, go to therapy and treat your alcoholism. You can treat your problems other than alcohol and, and find out a lot more about uh, your, your, uh, your human condition. But uh, therapy is, is ineffective on alcoholism. Exercise is ineffective on alcoholism. However, working on your spiritual condition is not. That's, that's how you overcome right. alcoholism. Right. You don't go to your doctor for, for your spiritual advice. You don't go to your pastor to set your broken leg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, go to the right. Go go in the right direction. Right direction. Yeah. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. Okay, here's here's where the instructions start. How you use this book is when there's an instruction, go do the instruction. Don't keep reading. This isn't the Da Vinci Code. This is a textbook. <laughs> so if it says put down your resentments on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we uh, were angry. Okay, stop. 
do what it just said. List the people, institutions, and principles with whom you are angry. Don't go any further until you've actually done that. Mm. That's how you use this book as a textbook. We asked ourselves why we were angry. Okay, that's another, uh, another instruction. Ask yourself why you were angry. Uh, put that down next to the people, institutions, and principles. You know, don't go any further until you're done with that. In most cases, uh, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. Okay, column number three is what, it, what does it affect? Um, where you get the information for column number three is in the sentence I just read. Self-esteem, pocketbook, that would be your finances, ambitions, personal relationships, including sex, sex relationships, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. Okay, think about this for a minute. You're angry at somebody. The only way you can be angry at a person, an institution, or a principal is if you think uh, you think that something you have will be taken away, or something you want to get, you won't. You'll be interfered with. Uh, you won't be able to get what you're what you want. So instincts basically are uh, are what I have, and I'm going to protect it. Ambitions are what I want to get. Now, if, if, if your instincts or ambitions are not harmed, threatened, or interfered with, there's nothing to be angry about. So this is basically an exercise in breaking down your resentment or your anger to see what areas of self are being affected. Is it your self-esteem? Is it your sex relations? Uh, is it your money? You know, are they being harmed, threatened, or interfered with, either what you have or what you want? Now, you're not going to have a resentment unless one of those things is affected. So the exercise is basically write, write it down. On our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal sex relations, which had been interfered with? We were usually as definite as this example. Now, this is Bill's very rudimentary um, uh, inventory that's broken down on page 65. And I'll go through some of these. I am resentful at, that's column number two. The cause, column number three, affects my is column number, uh, I'm sorry, the cause is column number two, affects my is column number three. Let's just look at Mr. Brown. Okay. I'm resentful at Mr. Brown because of his attentions to, attention, uh, attention to my wife. Uh, that's, that's one resentment. The second one is told my wife of my mistress. Okay, that's the second one. The third one is Brown may get my job at the office. I saw a shirt one time, Monty, <laughs> that said, Mr. Brown needs his ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, I, lo I love that. That's cute. Anyway, listen, if, somebody's, if somebody was trying to hit on your wife, was telling your wife that you're having an affair, and then trying to get your job, you're going to be upset. Okay? Sure. Let's see, let's see why you're upset. It's, it's affecting your sex relations. It's, a, it's affecting your self-esteem. It's making you afraid. It's, uh, it's uh, all of these things. If you look in column number three, uh, each one of these resentments, and there's basically three resentments, security and self-esteem and sex relations and fear are being affected. So that's, what, that's how you do column number three. Mm -hmm. Let's look at Mrs. Jones. 
Now, there's two ways he does this. It took me a long time to see. The first way, he, he says, I'm resentful at Mr. Brown, and then he lists three resentments, okay? In Mrs. Jones, he lists out what he's resentful at, and, and he only uses one third column. Uh, so in, in the first example, he uses three different third columns. In the second example, he uses only one. Okay. So if you have a resentment towards somebody and it's multiple resentments, uh, you can either list out uh, how it affects just once or you can list out how it affects uh, for each specific resentment, if that makes any sense. Got it, yeah. You have to look at this to say. Mrs. Jones, she's a nut. She snubbed me. She committed her husband for drinking. He's my friend. She's a gossip. Okay? That's why he's upset with Mrs. Jones. It affects his personal relationships, his self-esteem, and fear is bracketed. Okay? Let's look at my employer. My employer, uh, the cause is unreasonable, unjust, overbearing, threatens to fire me for drinking and padding my expense account. Why, is, why does it affect him? Because of self-esteem, fear, and security. And I would also add, Bill should, probably should have added pocketbook. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, the, the fourth resentment, my wife misunderstands and nags, likes Brown, wants house put in her name. And in column number three, the, what it affects is pride, personal, sex relations, security, and fear. Now, notice that he didn't do a whole lot of writing. This is something that they would do very, very quickly back in the day. As a matter of fact, when Dr. Bob was taking you through the steps, he was writing out your inventory. He didn't even want you to do it, okay? When, when you see people doing fourth steps today, you see life stories, and, you know, they, they want to write down every detail. No, you, you don't need to do that. You just need sound bites. You need to get to the cause and condition. You, the more writing, the more justification you're going to put in there. The more you're going to, the more you're going to be showing. Well, you know, this is really why I have this. Uh, if um, you look at this example. There's, it's short, it's sweet. There's sound bites. He's getting right to the point, and that's a good, uh, that that's a good uh, 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 lesson uh, that should be learned as far as four steps. Uh, you know, I've had I've had people come over and do fifth steps at my house that were 18 hours long, Monty. Wow. I mean, they they just didn't get it. Uh, you can get to the point with a lot less writing than, than some people uh, use nowadays. Don't you think, Chris, too, <clears throat> excuse me, that this could be somebody that's doing that much writing these big novels is um, could be one of the, the causes for stirring up stuff that may have already been dealt with? Well, I think it's a manifestation of ego. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the bigger the the bigger the four step, you know, the bigger the ego. Sometimes, uh, like I got to show these people just how bad I am, or or, or something. Uh, it can be that. Uh, you know, it, it it can it can be incorrect. Sometimes you really need to give people specific instructions before you send them off to do a four step. Mm-hmm. You know, the first four step I ever did. You know, the guy who was guiding me through said, "Go to a four step." I mean, he didn't give me any any instructions, so I did like I did a life story because I I had learned that in treatment. You know, I put down all this stuff. I you know I told all this crap. That's not really what it's about. We're looking for the causes and conditions of our failure in life. We're not looking to justify it. We're not looking to 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 do a dissertation on it. You know. Yeah. Um, we went back to our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. You need to be thorough and you need to be honest. 
When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were quite often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. You know, if we have a resentment, it's like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. Yeah. <laughs> it's eroding our spiritual condition, and, we're, and we could drink and we could die. We need to be rid of these resentments. And if, if you're just so sure that you have a justified resentment, well, that's okay. You can have a justified resentment. You're just going to die. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, would you rather be right or would you rather survive? Sure. You know, so so we need to be rid of of these resentments, and the best way I've found is figuring out exactly what they are, finding out the truth about them, and then moving through the rest of the steps. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? You know, Bonnie, I would wake up in the morning. Okay, I would come to, and my head would come off the pillow, and I would start thinking about the people I hated. I would start to think about the people that did, you know, did me wrong. I mean, that's how I would start my day. And wow. I'm telling you, that tarnishes your quality of life, if, if you can survive it. But with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. There are no justified resentments. There are only fatal ones. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit, and it's the sunlight of the spirit that keeps us safe and protected from the next drink. The insanity of alcohol returns, and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not from us. for us. Now, one of the great things when you're going through this book is to use a period dictionary because uh, the, the, the definitions of words change. I think grouch, everybody knows a grouch. That's just somebody that's cranky all the time. But a brainstorm back in the late 30s, one of the definitions was losing, losing, your, losing your mind emotionally, like punching the holes in the wall, kicking the doors down, you, you know, driving around with road rage, that's a brainstorm. Yeah, yeah, I, they, I see what you're saying, yeah. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things were poison. Now, we've done the first three columns, Monty. It now tells us we turn back to the list, for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated, dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others fancied or real, had the power to actually kill. I found fancied or real when I finally started writing out these, these resentment and resentments. I found out some of them were fancied. They were in my head. You know, the, the people weren't out to do me wrong. Right. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. This was our course. Now, before you move on to column number four, this is what you need to do. We realized that the people who had wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick, that we did not like their symptoms and the way those disturbed us, 
like ourselves, uh, they were sick too. Like ourselves. Yes, that's the key. That is the key. And this, I have to tell you, Chris, this is the place in, this is the pages that are most worn in my book. Um, This particular paragraph has saved my rear end so many times, has allowed me to, to continue my day after a bad, a, a seemingly bad experience and have the rest of a good day. It really, really has. And, and that's the thing I point out with my, with my sponsees is that very thing you said, they like ourselves. I think that is so key, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, our, our problems are of our own making. Uh, so definitely we're spiritually sick. So, you know, he, here's, here's basically how I explain it to somebody that's new, all right? Um, when, uh, when, when, uh, when my daughter was born, I was in, I was in the, uh, the, uh, the hospital room with, with, with my wife at the time, and she was going through contractions, and the contractions started to get really, really bad. And finally, she went through an, a contraction from hell. And she looked at me and she started screaming at me, Monty, she said things to me like, I am never, this is your fault, I'm never going to let you touch me again. You're a, you're a this and you're a that and you're a this and you're a that. Okay, now, do you think I was mad at her? No. No, I wasn't mad at her. I was going, no, honey, breathe. Breathe. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you know, doing the Lamas. Yeah. I, I didn't take it seriously. I knew she was in unbelievable pain. I knew she didn't mean what she said. I think sometimes they're asking us to look at people as if they're spiritually sick, as as if they're they're like my wife who was having a baby and was, was cussing at me with everything she had. Uh, you know, we're supposed to have some compassion. We're supposed to see that they're not all there they're not they're not spiritually sound uh you know and we should have compassion we should look at them like they're like like they have like they're sick people and that's how we should react instead of getting resentful believing that we're under attack right now here's the prayer before you move on to the fourth column you need to say this prayer we ask god to help us show them the same tolerance pity and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend when a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, how can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. Okay? Now, when you, when you, have, a res- when you have a resentment, this is the resentment prayer. All right? You mm-hmm. figure out wh- what areas of self are affected, why you're angry, and then you basically say, God, please show me, show me how to be tolerant, uh, have pity and patience on Harry. Uh, it, Harry is a sick man. How can I be helpful to Harry? Give him, uh, God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. I mean, it's it's a prayer that we need to learn and we need to start using when we get angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, because these resentments must be mas- mastered because why? They're fatal. <laughs> Important sure. reason. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, there's, there's a line of demarcation here now. Yes, you've looked at, you've looked at why you think you're angry and what areas of self are, but you've just said this prayer. Now you need to forget 
forget about their part. You need to look at your part. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Those are the four things you look for in column number four of the resentment inventory. And if you've been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, or frightened, you need to write it out. And that's how you do a resentment inventory. Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. We, when we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. Now, I'll, I'll just give a plug to a, a couple of websites where... You know, if you're listening to this and, and you're looking for a form or something, I mean, I don't really necessarily think you need a form to do a four-step. You just write, you know, write out what it tells you to write out here uh, in columns. But on thejaywalker.com, uh, you can find some good uh, four-step forms. And Just Love Audio, you can Google Just Love Audio. And uh, uh, Barefoot Bill, the guy who has that site, uh, has a lot of good forms, too. So if you need you need a pre uh, a pre-written form you can find them there uh if you can uh, if you can just take out a notebook and move through uh following these instructions you can do that too okay so uh, the 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 com and what was the other one the com and the other I, I i'm not sure the exact url but if you do a google on just love audio You'll find Barefoot Bill's site, and he's he's got a lot of different forms okay. and things like he's got a lot of good. Both of those sites have a, a wealth of uh, written uh, recovery material and exercises. Uh, you know, we we normally don't plug other websites, do we, Monty? Because we've got our own. But, <laughs> That's right. That's I, right. I don't know about you, but I don't have four, I don't have four step forms on, on mine. <laughs> I don't either. So that's the resentment inventory. You know, before we get off, uh, Monty, you want to share some of your experiences with, with, uh, with, with doing inventory on resentments, and you know how how uh, what your experience might have been. Yeah, you, you betcha. I, you know, um, when I found happening, it is so important, folks, to have to have a sponsor or somebody that that has gone through these steps uh, to really guide you through this stuff. Um, I tried doing this by myself. Uh, when I was in jail, uh, going through the through the big book and trying to follow these directions, and I mean, some people can do that, I, I suppose, but um, I didn't have any guidance, and so what I ended up having was a whole bunch of resentments toward my towards myself. By the time I got out of jail, I didn't know what to do with me, <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, because everything that came up, everything I started writing down, I started doing it well. This was my fault, and this was my fault, and this was, and I went on and on, and I did, I did that. I wrote that big old, uh, that big old, you know, life story thing, because because I thought I was supposed to. Nobody really, yeah. nobody really guided me, and I did have some experience in treatment. Of course, they're trying to cram in everything in a very short period of time, you know, trying to condense it all. And I found myself, the reason I was unable to finish the fourth step at that time was because it got, I had more fear and more fear. Oh, my gosh, I'm not done writing. I'll never be done writing. And so I just gave up. And I think maybe that's why some people don't, you know, I'm still on my fourth step. You hear that all the time, right? Well, you know, you know how long a fourth step takes, Monty? It takes, it takes about 
two weeks and three hours, or it takes about two months and three hours, or it takes about two years and three hours. Mm-hmm. So if you follow the book's instructions, so it takes about three hours for, for normal people. You know, some people may have more resentment, through, yeah. uh, more, more sex harms than others, but uh, I, I, can, I can say that, you know, it, it'd be surprising if you're, if you're just following these instructions, you can't do it in three hours. Yeah, and there, listen, there's something to say about life stories. There's something to say about, you know, doing a lot of writing. You bet. You get, you get, uh, you get, uh, you get some good things out of, out of doing those. You know, it's like journaling or whatever. You get good things out of it. It's just don't mistake that for working a program. That's right. That's right. If a treatment center tells you to write a life story, that's really kind of a first step prep. It's not a four step. Uh, And and you get out of those exercises what you get out of those exercises. The important thing to remember is what you get out of the 12 step exercises in the book Alcoholics Anonymous is to a state of recovered from alcohol. Mm -hmm. And, Uh, And that's kind of important because it's a progressively fatal illness. The uh, resentment inventory, I give you an example, uh, and, you know, and we've, we've, we've since uh, reconciled and, and we have a good relationship today. But my brother-in-law, uh, who introduced my wife and I um, through a blind date, uh, after he got to know me a little, little bit and after several relapses, he wished that he had never done that. <laughs> and uh, so he was, I had become the black sheep. And there was an awful lot of anger there. And every time we got together for a holiday or anything, it was Steve just, I mean, it was all about, oh, that guy's going to be here. And, you know, it was was horrible. I could feel the tension in the room. You could cut it like a knife. And I became extremely resentful at at Steve. And so when I did my fourth step, I actually sat down with a sponsor and did this resentment inventory. Um, He was the first one on it. Chris, uh-huh. and, and and so the columns were very very helpful to me, and uh, I yeah I didn't have a form or anything, but I just drew lines down a piece of paper, so uh, you know I could put Steve in there instead of Mr. Brown, um, uh, the cause his his the way he acted towards me when the family was together, and that was the, the times when he really really just you know showed his ugly side, and of course it affected. It affected my self-esteem. It it affected... I'll tell you how it affected my pocketbook. When that kind of thing would happen to me in the past, and when he did that kind of thing to me, it, it, it rang those bells of abandonment issues. And I medicated by going out and buying stuff, what we call sometimes makeup spending. I, uh. would, I would buy stuff to medicate. I wasn't going to drink. You know, I can't do that. So I'll go buy stuff. Sometimes it was food, sometimes it was electronic toys, and I would try and do that to to really forget about how he was was treating me. Uh-huh. And so it did affect my pocketbook too. Some of you might not think so, but there's a way it did. You know, uh, uh, the causes and conditions of our failure at life. You know, some, yeah. sometimes we you know sometimes we don't really understand what's going on with us. You know, we we we're asleep thinking we're awake you know (laughs) and and a lot of times a lot of times we just we learn a lot from this we we, we learn a lot about ourselves and and you know what else and i don't want to jump ahead into something that we may be doing later down down the road but i've got to say um uh working 
the four-step in the 12 by 12 along with this and understanding the things about sex relations and, and my pocketbook and so forth. And you and I know what, I, what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. In the very beginning of that, where it talks about our God-given instincts, that really helped me understand how I twist those things <laughs> and take what God meant for good and try to bend it to my satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but going back, I mean, today, and here's the other thing, this thing, once again, on the bottom of page 66 and going to 67, um, this this resentment prayer, I'm, I'm telling you, it. I can go back to this thing sometimes on a daily basis, and I, I you know, okay, Monty, 66, page 66, page 66, <laughs> and remember that they, like myself, are perhaps spiritually sick, you know, and here's the thing, sometimes people aren't sick. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes somebody really did wrong us and we had nothing to do with it. And yet it's still not healthy to blame, even if it is totally in their court. It's still not healthy to blame, is it? No, no. absolutely not. Uh, uh, you know, b- blaming somebody for something is not how you get free. Taking responsibility of yeah. your own part in it is how you get free. Sure. Uh, listen, the the book recommendation uh, this week, Monty, I want to recommend the book uh, called The Harder They Fall. It was written <laughs> by Gary Stromberg, yeah. Jane Merrill. It's basically celebrities tell their real-life stories of addiction and recovery. And it's very interesting because I just want to read off a couple of the celebrities in here uh, who tell their recovery stories. Anne Lamont, Jerry Cooney, the boxer, Richard Pryor. Um, Marriott Hartley, Alice Cooper, <laughs> Richard Lewis, Malcolm McDowell, Grace Slick, uh, you know, there's a, Glenn Beck, uh, the broadcaster. Mm-hmm. There's a number of people in that book that tell their recovery story, and, and uh, uh, I interviewed uh, I interviewed Gary Stromberg not long ago, and he's an interesting guy. Uh, so. That would be my book recommendation of the week. That That is excellent because I just spoke with Gary uh, eyeball to eyeball a couple of days ago at the 12-Step Music Fest. He was our main speaker. Oh, wow, that's terrific. It, it was great, and he told us the story uh, of Grace Slick, which I just found fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And, uh, yeah, folks, this is a this is an awesome book. I have a copy of it. I I know you'll sit down with this thing, and you won't be able to put it down. And, and uh uh, the author, boy, he's he's been through the ringer and talking with these people, getting permission from them. He, I think he said the only, I think he said he only had one person or something that didn't give him permission, but everybody else, it was really good. Uh, but what a nice guy, huh? Oh, uh, amazing! And you know the the crazy the crazy thing is is uh, uh, some of the some of the stuff that uh, he was involved with, uh, you know, before he yeah. before he got got involved in this book. Um, uh, he 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 basically uh, was a uh, a music uh, marketing guy in the early days, and he worked with all of the big rock bands. Yep, and that is Gary Stromberg, folks. In case you want to look that up, uh, you can click on the link right here at takeswellradio.com on the book if you are um, on the uh, walking through the big book page, and it'll take you right to Amazon. And a portion of that uh, will go to help uh, keep Takeswell Radio on the air. So, great book, great show. This, uh, folks, is How It Works Part 3. We will continue next week with more of How It Works. And I think we'll probably be wrapping it up next week, right? 
I think that we're going to get through fears and uh, and harms to others. Emphasis on sex. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. 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 Going. And so don't let the sex inventory scare you, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come back next week and we'll have sex. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Oh, you too much, Chris. All right, my friend. Thank you so much once again, as always. You are the man. Okay. Take care, Monty. <laughs> all right. Folks, uh, hey, listen, check out all of our shows. But listen, don't forget to come back next week. And once again, we walk through the big book. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. <laughs>